Welcome back, everyone. This is The Legal Lens, the podcast of NUI Galway's Law Society, and today we are discussing devilling. For many aspiring barristers, it can be a daunting process to go out on your own, build a practice, and understandably, there can be a fear that kind of comes with that, such as, you know, what if I can't do it, or a fear, fear of failure. So today, we're hopefully going to give you the tools to start your career or develop a career as a barrister as proactively as possible. And we are delighted to be joined once again by practicing barrister, Venetia Taylor, who you will remember from our episode on litigation. Welcome back, Phoenicia. So I suppose to get started as usual, what is devilling? Okay, well, devilling you do for one year in Dublin, and this is a year where you'll hopefully learn the, where the courts are, where which court is what, and generally just build up your advocacy with your master's guidance. Okay, and there can be an option of second year devilling if people want to do that. So that's just to make sure you feel you have a contact in the law library as well. And it can be a good source of trying to build up a practice. So devilling, as I say, is a mandatory year that you must do once you qualify as a barrister if you want to practice as a barrister in Ireland. Normally, what you would do is, if depending on each individual person, somebody may have contacts in the law library already. If you don't have contacts already, what I would suggest is if you go onto the law library website, lawlibrary.ie, And on the top of that, there's a page called Find a Barrister. And if you click into that, you can search for a barrister, if you know the name, and you can get their contact details, or there's an advanced search option. In that advanced search option, you can actually pick barristers based on their speciality. So when you're in college, you might have decided that I want to do human rights, or I want to do commercial law, or I want to be a criminal barrister. So this will help you identify people that do that area. So obviously not everybody is a master or has put themselves down to be a master. So you'll need to get that list either from the King's Inns or from the Bar Council directly. And that's an up-to-date list of people that have signed up to be a master. And normally that is at the moment a person of at least seven years standing. And generally speaking, the people that are on this master list have been vetted to ensure that they do have a practice that would be of benefit to somebody coming in devilling. And really what you're looking for, I think, is somebody that has a good uh, base of both court work and a base of physical paperwork because you want to get a round practice. Again, it really depends on what area you want to work in. So if you want to do crime, my view would be that you should possibly have a bit of a, a cushion financially going into crime because it's harder to maybe pick up work there, substantial volume and the, the rates that you get paid in crime. And this sometimes puts people off doing crime. But what I would say in the last number of years in relation to crime is that a lot of people have taken that attitude and they're not going down to the criminal courts. So I think there's a big opening there for people to start going back into crime and they, they have a good chance to pick up volume because not enough devils are going down criminal courts. Okay. The other way to pick up masters as well is talking to people. And that's the tradition of the bar. That's why we have a lot of dinings and different events like that. Because a lot of of things we do are collegial or speaking through people or learning from other people. So if you go down to King's Inns, you know, join the debating society, join the the mooting society. You'll meet other barristers that are practicing and talk to them and see at the moment who is the best girl or guy working in crime or commercial law or human rights law that will be a good master and you can check them off the list and then phone them. It's never too early to phone somebody to see about the devilling year you want to do. You could certainly start doing this now if that was your plan. 
it's okay if something changes and you've signed up with a master for 22, 23 and something happens and you decide you're not coming down the bar. Just phone them as soon as you know and let them know because they will have other people that have rung them to see if they're available. The best people will be gone in advance. So do try and uh, make them calls as early as possible. Don't wait until you're finishing King's Inns to do that. So how, when, when do you actually think you should start kind of making those inquiries and making those phone calls? Should it be kind of when you're preparing to go into King's Inn or should you kind of still be looking at it when you're still an undergrad even? I certainly know certain people that I would have rung would have told me they were gone three years already. They were already booked out three, four years in advance. So there is, it's not, I'm not putting anyone under pressure. You will find somebody. If you know somebody's very good and you have your plan, I'm going to do King's Inns full time. I'm going to qualify then. I would make them calls now, even in undergrad. Now, some masters may say, oh, well, you're a little bit getting ahead of yourself. You know, you haven't even got into King's Inns yet. But certainly you can make the phone call and see if they'll put you down. And I'll ring you as I go along. So you'd say, I've passed the entrance exams. I'm in King's Inns now just to ring them up to remind them. Um, I'm still interested in going with you. And then again, after the exams, just ring them to say, qualified now and I'll be down in October. I just want to make sure we're, you still have me in your in your book coming down with you. Yeah, so it's probably good to start kind of building those relationships. Yeah, absolutely. But as I say, Uh, don't panic either. You don't have to do this right now either. You will get somebody. But it just depends if it's a particular house name in the law library that's a a top junior that you'd be recommended to get. That person will probably be gone if you wait until the summer of the King's Inns. Kind of considering that, I suppose, just kind of getting the master isn't really all that's it. I mean, you've just lashed out, what, €12,000 for your, your barrister at law degree, and now you're going out into practice. There's there's a lot of expense, I think, along with that, including, you know, registration with the law library and, you know, your first year's kind of fees. Traditionally, devils weren't paid anything. So has that changed in recent years? Or is there more demand? I mean, it, it does seem quite, it's like, it does seem quite like a very large burden to place on someone that's, you know, just about to lash out and build a practice. Yes. So um, traditionally, no, you would have to pay that yourself. And the hope is that you would obtain work and uh, significant work so that that wouldn't be a difficulty for you paying that money. There have changed that now. There was a vote done by the Young Bar, um, which will take effect the 21, 22 intake. So probably people listening to this, it will affect that it will be mandatory to pay subscription fees at that stage. We don't want to end up in a situation where we have an employer-employee situation arising because that certainly would not be in the spirit of it because it's still very much an independent bar and everybody is self-employed, including the devil. So the relationship is independent of each other, although they're deviling for them. You know, they're not, it's not an employee-employer situation, you know, where you can bring a case in the WRC or anything like that. So that I think that was the resistance for a long time on why the fees weren't going to be paid. Now, just to say traditionally, even though devils would be expected to pay the fees, lots of masters would in fact pay it. And certainly when I deviled, I was given a refund, if you like, during the year. So Christmas time, I would have received a large check at the end of the summer. Okay, so even though that seems like people were paying it previously, they weren't really paying it. They were getting it paid in different ways. Most masters would do that, not all masters. And a good way to find that out as well, and it's a bit late in the day, but once you start with your master, you'll have what's called devil brothers or sisters. Generally speaking, you won't be the first devil for this particular master. So what you should do is get their names and phone them up and meet them for coffee. 
and just ask them about the attitude of the master as well. And that's, there's nothing wrong with doing that. And that might be just as well a personality thing because sometimes these relationships don't work out. It's, it is rare, but it does happen. And that's not a problem if that does happen, okay? The bar council will assist you in getting another master. That was another reason why sometimes the fees, they didn't want to pay a, an agreement on fees being discharged until they had made sure that the year had worked out for both parties. So that, you know, that the devil turned up to work and did what they were asked to do. And there was, you know, generally speaking, a good harmonious professional relationship between the two parties. And they would normally discharge those fees. This is putting on a formal footing that we will now know at least that it will be paid. So you don't have to worry about that overhead starting your new business because this is a new business you are starting. You're not an employee. So like any business, and this is the analogy that the bar council would give, is that if you are setting up a trade or any particular business, you have overheads to sink into that. And this is what your fees are actually made up of. Well, they might sound substantial. You do in fact get you know, the, the buildings, the access to your uh, subscriptions for all the legal websites, you know, there's printers. Now, you do have what are called white cards, just to say that as well. These are basically your, you may have used them in college as well for printing uh, cards you top up and you can pay for your lunch and different things on it. So some masters may give money on those cards and allow you to, to get your lunch and pay for printing and stuff. Because your deviling year will be made up of maybe printing books of authorities you may be used to doing from your mooting competitions you'll be doing them so you'll be printing out kind of large volume books and obviously maybe as time moves on there won't be such a need for them there's a new practice direction as well just say um in relation to books of authorities that the courts the high court now is certainly and um, they're starting a practice whereby if it's a particular area where there's well-known case law now they're going to have a list of them online for your particular case so you don't have to print them so that's a step forward and it will be less of a cost now in terms of printing. But certainly any devil should not be paying for any of this, these items themselves. If you are printing for your master, you need to tell your master to top up your card. Okay. And you will have assistance in first year deviling. There is a there's a great community in first year in terms of there's mandatory CPDs. So they're what's called continuing professional development courses. And they'll be on things about how to manage your finances how to keep good books and records. And there are mandatory CPDs you'll have to attend in first year that your master will be aware of. So there is help when you come in. You're not just left there. There's help there to see how to develop your practice. These things will happen. That sounds brilliant. So there sounds like there's a very, very good community there, which is definitely kind of going to help, I suppose, alleviate some of the fears you might have going into it originally. Because I know just like being in law school, I suppose, like I talk to a lot of people who want to become barristers. And I think that the biggest thing that they're always expressing is they're afraid that, you know, they won't be able to actually build that practice. Sometimes I've met a couple of people who felt like they kind of reluctantly stepped forward into a route that they weren't particularly, you know, passionate about in the beginning. Which I suppose which is a really good benefit of having such a personal invite. So just going back a little bit. So it's not actually just a subscription fee fees and the registration fees you also have to get insurance so indemnity insurance or malpractice or is malpractice a very american term this is actually a very low amount of money and i can't tell you exactly what it'll be the year you come in but it's it's generally around the 100 maybe 140 euro mark starting off it's it's quite low we have an in-house insurer that's based in the distillery building in aon and when you come in in first year you'll have what's called an introduction week that will be before you the court term starts and you'll be given any of that pack then at that stage. And um, I, it's very, it is a low value for what you get. I think you're covered up to, I think it's around 1.75 million. I could be wrong on that, but 
it's not that you'll be you'll be really trading off your master's insurance at that stage because any work you do you'll be giving it back to your master because first year is you are working for somebody else albeit you're not an employer employee situation again the relationship of devil master should be one that you can go back to your master from first year and say I have a case I'm not sure if you can help would you have any precedence on this and it will just help you then in terms of doing your own work into the future. So leveling isn't just, it's not a one-way thing. It's very much, it's really very much for you. And it's for you to build up a bank of experience with a particular person in the law library to form a relationship with that person that will hopefully last uh, for many years to come. Yeah. And I was just wondering, just because initially, I suppose, when you are deviling and you are kind of trading off, I suppose, your master's work, does that mean kind of when you officially kind of, you know, go beyond the devil, does does your insurance actually then increase dramatically or does it all kind of stay around the same, I suppose, unless you were unfortunate to have a claim? No, it, it goes up incrementally. So it goes up maybe 70 euro each year. It depends on the cases you do. So if you do commercial law cases, your practice could all of a sudden become a case that's worth 3 million or 4 million euro. This won't affect you in deviling year, okay, at all. But as you go along, I would steadily increase, it steadily increases you're, because you're becoming more of a risk to the insurance company because you're obviously getting more work on your own and you're doing more work. So that's why it would naturally increase. But if you say, by chance, got a very high-end case, very high-value case in banking, you can phone the insurance company and say, I have a case, it's worth three million, I only need the extra cover for this. So they can do that rather than increase your whole premium. That makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense, actually. The solicitors have massive, massive amount of insurance fees, which, which we don't have. And this is because we do have the distinguishing part between solicitors and barristers at the moment. There is some movement to try and amalgamate the professions, which I'd be against. But that's probably why our insurance is quite low, because normally it would be the solicitor that would be in trouble with clients as opposed to the barristers. We have a very low complaints even in the LRSA at the moment. So in terms of kind of, I suppose, you know, you hear about the, the circuits of practice. I know when you're deviling now, you can only devil in Dublin. And then after that is what you can choose the circuit in the country. What actually are the circuits and why do you actually have to do the deviling only in Dublin? Well, Dublin is obviously the main the capital and it's the court it's the area where we have all the courts. So we have the district, the circuit, the court of appeal and the Supreme Court, obviously the High Court I didn't mention there. And we obviously have the criminal courts. So everything family courts, it's all located in Dublin. And that's why it's to give you the best year you can have and have the most rounded year. And it, when you're in Dublin it's a bit more there's a bit more of a buzz about it. You know, when you come out of King's Inns, you're going to feel very proud of yourself. You're going to have your gown on, your tabs on, hopefully. And, you know, you feel part of something. That's why I'd be in favour of everyone retaining wearing the gown and the tabs. There's been a change in the law now that you don't have to wear them anymore. But most people are continuing to wear them to distinguish yourself. And Dublin is the hub of all the events that will be happening, all the uh, different evenings that are on. And it's a very social year as well. Uh, hopefully COVID is over at that stage. Um, and uh, but it's an extremely social year. There'll be lot of lots of different uh, events on, and I'm not trying to celebrate kind of the party aspect of it. But there's certainly very a lot of drinking and um, receptions and things like that that will help you meet and network with different individuals from all tiers of the bar. And this would be good for you. Don't just stay with your own year. You should be moving around through all years and making friends, if you like, with uh, different people in the law library. 
So Dublin is the is the hub, and that is why. Because when you go out on the practice on circuit, it can be a lonely experience because you don't have a lot of barristers out on circuit. It's not that you don't have them, but they may not be identifiable. Some barristers, when they're out in circuit, may not wear the full gear. They may solicitors, uh, judges, they might find some judges like it's not that they like it, but there a lot of barristers. I've been out in circuit, and certainly I would see that barristers sometimes just wear a suit as opposed to wearing their 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 full attire, which I think they shouldn't do. But um, there'd be more solicitors practicing on circuit than barristers. That makes sense. So when you're at the four courts, we are a big network of people. But when you're out on circuit, there's more solicitor based contacts than barristers. It's just that you can feel a little bit lonely. Obviously, Cork is the next main hub. So if you're going to Cork, they have their own fairly substantial, similar to Dublin hub as well, with a lot of barristers working there and a lot of their the law practice offices around the Cork courts. So the, the main circuits are Cork, Dublin, and then you're into the Eastern Circuit, the Midland Circuit, Munster Circuit, the Northern Circuit, and then you have the Southeastern, Southwestern, Southern and Western. Now, you can decide to dabble in a lot of them. Like I personally have Dublin and Eastern, I think, on my law library page. So that's something you can decide later on. You can change it anytime you want. It just shows people that you do practice in those circuits if they want to give you some work, that you're willing to travel there. So you might be from the West, in which case you might put down that you'll be a Western practitioner as well as Dublin. Maybe you live in Dublin, but you don't mind going home so you'll travel to the West. That makes sense. Yeah. So in terms of finding work then, like what advice would you give? Like, I mean, I hear they say that, you know, to kind of really kind of build up your practice, it takes what they've recommended, something in the range of like five years. So like what advice can you do to like, you know, start building that practice, you know, meeting solicitors, persuading them to give you a brief and kind of building those relationships up so you can start, you know, earning in your own right and, you know, having a successful practice. Well, sometimes masters can be good at helping devils to get work. So this is why sometimes choose carefully with your master. There's definitely certain masters that would promote their own devils, uh, what's called their family, and try and get work given to them. So I'd be advising maybe getting a master that's not quite a junior junior or maybe more of a senior junior, if that makes sense. So anyone after about maybe year 12 upwards, I think would be better because they're established practitioners and they won't feel in competition, I suppose, is another word. Um, so they'll be happy to tell their solicitor to please send them, you know, some some small work. And that will give you an opportunity to show them, demonstrate your own abilities and your own skills to see whether or not they want to, in your own right, brief you. So that is one way is through your master. Another potential way is, you know, attending events, be seen, come up to Dublin. Personally, I I would recommend and I do recommend to people is when you come up to the four courts, you won't have a seat per se. It's the other issue. There are what's called essentially hot desks and people squat on these desks. Okay. Some people own desks. Your master may own a desk and he or she will tell you, this is my desk. You can sit here for the year and that's great. If you can kind of find a spot that you can stay, stay in or an area you can sit in, look around you and see who are the other barristers sitting around you and make yourself available and say, you know, if you've done all the work for your master has given you, is there anything you need help with? And I personally did pick up a lot of work in that way because people are very grateful when you are, are collegial and help them out and would cover them and maybe run down to court to do a few different little small motions for them. 
that they'll ask their solicitor to send you work also. So actually, you're going to get most of your work is through barristers in the first number of years. And people don't really realize that. But that's why it's very important to get on with people at the law library and, you know, make your uh, put your best foot forward and be very um, obliging and courteous uh, with people. So certainly my advice would be it won't be from solicitors initially. It will definitely be from barristers is where you're going to get your pick up your most of your work. And once you get that little bit of work fed to you from a solicitor, it's up to you then to show them I'm very good um, and uh, you should give me more work. So that is one particular way. There's other networking events that will have, you can join committees in a particular area. Say if you are interested in planning, you can join our commercial law, you can join committees that have a mix of solicitors and barristers and you should attend those events and get to know the solicitors. And there's no harm getting some business cards in your first year as well and that you can have them and hand them out when you're there so that they may remember you. But other, the other next main way is to through doing articles. So identifying maybe an area of law, like a tip would be look at the Supreme Court judgments. If you go onto court's website, they will do a list of all new judgments that come out and maybe have a read of a case. You could do turn that into an article. And a lot of the courts sometimes or judges may do is give a nice summary of the law. So you could use the work that they've done and maybe put a little slant on it and get that published in what's called the Law Gazette, which is a paper that is published by the solicitors. And uh, they'll give you a small little amount of money for that, maybe about 250 euro, I believe. That just has to be readable and relevant is really the main way you should look at doing them articles so that it's not too highbrow language and it's relevant. It's a new bit of uh, case law that's happened. And if you can get certain things like that published, that in itself will bring work to you. And later on, again, if you say you get familiar with an area of law, even if it's only a small niche area, put yourself forward to delivering a CPD. So as I say, these are continuous professional development. It's mandatory for both solicitors and barristers to do, to keep uh, essentially points up so that you're keeping a qualification up high. And absolutely in first year, you can do this. So it could be something small, small area, on uh, maybe a niche area, maybe a case your master did. It was on non factum, which is a defence used um, for wives, say, that have been acting, uh, have been, have acted in, uh, as a result of maybe undue pressure from their husband. And you could do that as a CPD in a solicitor's firm. Do you understand? So there are loads of little tricks, if you like, of how you could maybe potentially pick up work. But discovery work is a great source of income for the junior bar, but it may be difficult to get that in first year. But certainly I'd be keeping your ear to the ground and, and ask, telling people you're available to do any work. But a lot of people in first year would tend to have some kind of a part-time job subsidizing them as well no harm then at that stage even to co- go back to your old college and ask them do they have any tutorial work that they would like done or even any of the private colleges if you're up in Dublin to see if there's any nighttime courses they're doing could you run uh, one of the courses because you will be familiar coming from a law degree say maybe it's equity or maybe it's contract law that you could maybe do the first year course for them uh, in the law degree so now you because you'd have your professional qualification of BL you also have your law degree, potentially a master's as well. So contact them and that might be an extra source of income for you also. It's really just Brilliant. about keep keeping in the game. If, that, if I could give you the best tip I could give you. If you can just keep at it for five to six years, you will naturally be getting work because you're becoming more senior and senior as it goes on. And a lot of the time, unfortunately for people, is they can't weather the storm. They may have family commitments. They've, you know, they may have had a child during this time, and they simply just want to have a steady income. 
and there's no shame in that either I would say okay and we do have we're trying to make more um like a an alumni type of situation where we can have people come back and tell you you can transfer over as a solicitor I'm not taking people away from the bar but there's always options afterwards and having the bar qualification and the deviling will always stand to you and it will help you even jump into it into say a normal company or commanding a much bigger salary because you have that qualification and you have the post uh, practice experience so there's no shame in doing the bar for a number of years to build up your court experience and then going in-house as a consultant there's there's nothing wrong with that you don't the bar isn't for everyone either you may come down and go do you know I don't really like the insecurity of not knowing and everyone experiences this they don't know how much money they're going to earn in a year the, t- the top people experience this so there's no shame for people if they, they don't they'd rather have a monthly salary to do that but certainly it will help you, uh, I think, command a better salary from having this experience. Great. That, um, one thing now that actually brings all of the points that we were just discussing together, I would say, is um, the Susan Denham Fellowship. That's quite a substantial prize if you can win that in terms of just not only like regards to like monetary advantage, including, you know, having your fees and your subscription, but the aid it gives you like building, I suppose, building your practice and everything we've just discussed. Yeah. So the Susan Denham Fellowship, I don't have all the details here uh, on me at the moment, but it was set up around four or five years ago uh, under Suzanne Denham's name. And it's essentially, it's paid by the members of the Law Library contribute into this. And it allows five people at the same time to run through King's Inns uh, with their fees paid and all the subscription fees are paid for the first five years, as I understand it, at the bar. And they get a stipend for living expenses. So it's significant um, assistance. But again, uh, and you will have mentor experience. So it's definitely worth looking into. And even if you're going into King's Inns, have a look at the, there's different bursaries that are available to people to assist them uh, also. And actually recently I discovered that there may be a Susie grant as well. So people are interested in checking that out. Yeah, I do believe that Susie now do contribute towards King's Inn. What I can't find information on myself is does it cover the entire fees or does it cover up the U2, the usual postgrad amount which is about five or six thousand euro even still like having 50 percent of your fees paid me is like yeah. is substantial yeah. but um i haven't tra- i tried to f- i haven't yet to find clarification on that but if that yeah. was full twelve thousand, that would be pretty yeah. amazing and there's, there's also something just to bear in mind as well for people that are still thinking about whether they're going to devil or not and they want to do the ins Another option for people also is there are a number of judicial assistant jobs that come available each year because People would take the take it after King's Inns. They do a year in the courts. A judicial assistance is basically where you're shadowing a judge, if you like, but you are assisting them, drafting up judgments um, and working with them. And then they go down to the bar. So they've had that year to kind of try and save. It's not super money, who would say, but it is money and it's great experience to get to know the courts before going down and to get to know familiarity with the different practitioners as well. So that's something maybe to consider as well. It's a judicial assistance job and you can find them on public jobs, I believe they come up. But again, you know, when you're in King's Inns, just keep, if you're interested in that, just uh, contact the Bar Council as well and, and they can help you with that. That's brilliant. Is there any final advice you want to give had students who were considering a career as a barrister? Yeah, well, I think it's, a, it's an extremely enjoyable career. It's great to be self-employed. You can't put a, a value on that, to be honest. You'll have very hard days and very good days and obviously you're going to have to try and build up your confidence and be able to get up and speak in court 
but it will come to you like anything with practice. So don't be shy, don't, don't be put off by that. Some people might love that idea and that's what is what's drawing them to the profession. It's a great collegial experience and I certainly, it was the best choice I ever made and I wouldn't, uh, you know, it's not, it can be difficult sometimes when you're wondering about money, but it's, you know, look, it's fine. You'll always get by. If you want to do this, you'll do it. And you can always get secondary income if you need to do that and be able to manage both. So it's certainly, um, don't be put off by the financial side of it. Just be prepared to weather the storm, as I said, and if you can do that and hang in there, then you will, I think, uh, have a successful career at the bar. And so would you ever consider taking on a devil yourself? Uh, I probably will in a year or so. But uh, at the moment now, I don't think I will right now because of COVID. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, they are, it's great. It's great to have. It's great for both parties, to be honest. They'll help you out. And it's it's nice to have a, you know somebody with you in what can be kind of lonely at times. It's not that it's a lonely profession. It's not being out in circuit can be. It's good for both parties. Like I would still have a very good relationship with my master. I'd still be giving him presents at Christmas time and um, came to my own wedding. You know, so it's definitely, it's not just some uh, formal time. It's a friendship that you will build up with this person. So treat it like that, you know, that it's professional, but it hopefully will be a long-term life friendship that you develop with your master. So do try to get on with them best you can obviously people are individuals so it may not always work out if it doesn't you can talk to the bar council and we'll get you another master and um but generally speaking it will work out well as i say talk to your devil brother or sister when you come in or as soon as you can find out their names and ask them for a cup of coffee just ask them you know about your master and is is he or she okay or you know how how are they or you know, there might be things like, oh, well, look, you know, make sure you're here every morning at 8.30 on a Monday. They want you here. Or there might be, um, you know, there might be some particular things about that particular master that it's good to get a bit of a heads up on what they like and just maybe about their peculiar, particular, you know, traits of how they are. So use the, the devil family. As I say, talk to your colleagues when you come down, go to the CPDs, which you have to do. Get to know other members outside your year because they will be an invaluable source to you and enjoy the year. It's really a year to enjoy, to learn. It'll be very tired come Christmas because it's all new information you're learning, a totally different environment than you're ever used to. But it's highly enjoyable. It's a fun year and it's definitely something, even if you don't want to be a barrister in 20 years time, if you did the BL qualification, you should certainly devil and enjoy the year. That's fantastic. Venetia, thank you so much for coming back and going into such detail about, about that because it's such good. It's such a good thing to have a personal insight mm-hmm. and it's definitely reassuring for students who are trying to decide what direction they want to go down, even if it's in a non-law career whatsoever. I mean, yeah. law is such a versatile, you know, it's such a versatile skill to have and it's quite adaptable into, into most careers. So thanks very much and I really do appreciate that. Yeah, and people could feel free to contact me if they come down the library as well and meet them for a cup of coffee and chat with them they want oh that's amazing yeah no problem okay thank you so much and stay tuned for the next episode